guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. So this week we wanted to interview someone from the ed tech space because there's a lot of startups in the region providing platforms and uh, education online over the last decade. Some have broken through, some have made cut through, some have faltered, some are still in the works. Uh, so we decided to kind of speak to the biggest player globally, uh, Coursera. They've got low, they've got 80 million people on the platform. That's jumped from 40 million in the last year. I think what you'll find is Anthony Tattersall is the vice president there, and he's uh, very well spoken around all the different topics, and he knows a lot about how the governments in the region are embracing uh, digital learning. So I think it's a fascinating conversation. Um, you know, we will tackle this topic again in the future, and we'll bring on different people, both in Arabic on our Smashy streaming channel. We we'll bring on different people who are uh, entrepreneurs and uh, who have set up digital learning platforms as well. So enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. We've got a really interesting guest today from a hugely topical area and well-known company, uh, Coursera. So we're speaking to uh, Anthony Tattersall, who is uh, the VP at, at Coursera. Uh, when initially launched in 2012 by two Stanford computer science professors, has now become one of the largest online platforms in the world. In collaboration with over 200 leading university and industry partners, Coursera is now one of the largest uh, platforms, as I said, with over 82 million registered learners from March 31st, uh, 2021. So that number probably increased since then. Joined, uh, joining us today, Anthony, as I mentioned, he's the vice president uh, of Coursera. Uh, I'm sure there's more to it than, than that. And he'll be able to tell us a little bit more about the findings from a specific 2012 2021 Global Skills Report. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining. So you're in the UK at the moment, but you also look after the Middle East and particularly the UAE. I do. Uh, and uh, and certainly pre-pandemic, I was traveling there quite a lot. Um, not quite as much as I'd like to at the moment, but hopefully I'll be back out in the next month or two. And, and so can you, just for those uninitiated, I suppose, um, can you tell us a little bit more, build on what I said about Coursera, what the company is, how you position it in the market? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coursera is fundamentally focused on skills transformation, helping uh, individuals and institutions uh, increase the, the skills, both uh, helping people to uh, to do better in the kind of roles that they're doing today, but also to completely reskill and take on new roles uh, across different disciplines. And as a, as a company, we sort of focus on sort of four major groups, um, if you like. We, we work obviously with individuals, and you mentioned we have more than 80 million people now on our platform. Um, many of these are individual consumers looking to uh, improve their skills or change the skill sets to get break into new lines of work. Uh, we work very extensively with business organizations where we're helping them uh, drive reskilling and upskilling learning programs. And that's really all about leveraging um, people and technology to deliver better outcomes as a business. And 
that's pretty much a core focus for most businesses these days. I would say most businesses are really, their competitive value is driven by the skills that people have and their ability to exploit the technology. We also work with government institutions around the world. Uh, many of these kind of government projects are around citizen reskilling initiatives. Um, sometimes it's about driving shifts in the way uh, the economy is focused. Sometimes it's about ensuring that the, at the citizen level, we have suitable digital level skills to recognize how the world is evolving and making sure that we don't leave people behind uh, so they don't have jobs that they can, they can go into. And we work with a lot of um, institutions at a campus level, working with universities, higher educational institutions, and a wide variety of educational establishments. And typically there, we're, we're um, working with um, organizations to build blended learning programs, which are focused on improving employability outcomes for students and helping them make that transition from education often to their first roles. Mm. What we find as a business is because we have all of these different communities of users that any kind of impact we have in one dimension tends to be quite positive on the other. So when we work with businesses, we have a very strong insight into what businesses are looking for, which helps us give guidance to the kind of skill sets that students need to be working on. With the amount of people we have on our platform, we have very strong insights into what are the skills that people are actually focused on learning themselves, where do they see their opportunities, what are the jobs they're doing today? What are they evolving into? And we can look at our data from both you know, regional levels, for example, looking at what's happening specifically in the UAE, or indeed looking at it, um, what's happening in specific industry verticals, such as financial services or automotive, for example. Across all of those different groups, it is very much about how we actually help people uh, make the most of their, their talents, make the most of their skill sets, and create opportunities for people to access world-class education um, in a very equitable and global way. And in that sense, you know, I, I personally believe that education is the greatest global good that we can deliver. Uh, mm. And it's a, a powerful enabler for people to be successful in their lives. Amazing. Fascinating. And yeah, to hear it like that, it does show the kind of breadth and the the reach of Coursera, the different areas of people's lives that it, that it might reach. Uh, how did Coursera become the leading or one of the well-known brands in this space? Because um, I assume there were a lot of competitors over the years and there still are. What do you think has made Coursera kind of a standout name in this category? I think there's a number of things. I mean, I mean, as you said, there's lots of um, organizations that work in the area of, of providing um, skills transformation or learning opportunities. And, and as with all organizations, everybody sort of tries to define what their value is um, to the market that's, that they serve. In our case, uh, part of what I think really drives the value is our incredible array of partners that we have. And we have, we, we really are very focused on delivering world-class educational content. And so we have what we call industry partners, which are major organizations like IBM and Facebook and Google and so on. And we have our university partners, more than 170 university partners, which are typically uh, leading universities from around the world uh, who, whose business it is to, is to create 
fantastic learning experiences and to ensure that people learn effectively and successfully. And so a lot of the reason why, reasons why people come to Coursera is because they know they're going to have access to that world-class quality. Mm. And it's the, the brands that are associated um, with us on our platform. When you complete a course on Coursera, you get a certificate from that awarding institution. And so the opportunity to get a certificate from the University of Yale or London or, um, or IBM or Facebook, these are things that actually really resonate with people and are examples of high quality education programs that have access that they've completed and often want to showcase on their own personal profiles. So the course quality is a big, big part of what, what we do. We're also very focused, obviously, on the user experience. And we're very focused on our product capabilities. And so a lot of what we do is about actually helping people understand how, uh, how much skills development is actually taking place. So in many cases, you can go and do a course. And often in, 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 in the world of content, these courses are quite short. There might be an hour or less of content, which is fine. And it's, it gives you some foundational level skills. Coursera is very much more focused on significant upskilling and deep skilling. So we have some real depth to the courses that we have. Some of our courses can be 15 or 20 hours long. Some of our specializations can be 30, 60 or 90 hours long. Mm. And you don't become, say, a data scientist, for example, by watching a half hour video. It is a significant investment in time and effort to generate those skill sets. You can actually perform and do that role. So we have a level of depth to our content where we can really build mastery level capabilities in specific domains. And very importantly for institutions, we're able to showcase how those skills profiles are evolving. Thanks in part to our data set, but also because we do a lot of the work around assessing people's capabilities. Mm. And so we can show how people are moving through a spectrum of skills development um, over, what, over what level of mastery, at what level of time, based on how well they're performed. Mm. And that insight, especially for organizations, allows a company, for example, to say, where are my skill sets? Where are my skills competitive against perhaps other organizations in my industry? Where are my opportunities to derive those levels of growth? And how is it changing over time by my investments and my learning program? And I think the third part of it is really around the kind of the way in which we build learning paths and learning programs. It's not simply just saying, here's a bunch of courses. It's very much about saying, how do we actually build programs that work for organizations? So we have lots of academies uh, in, in our, our products. So we have uh, areas where we can focus on developing, say, data skills, or we have a leadership academy, or we might be focused on um, digital transformation or cloud. And academies are all about ensuring that you have the foundational skills across the entire organization, but for different functions, you have relevant courses that support their individual needs, all the way up to deep levels of mastery for the very specific experts in those areas of domain. Mm. And led over top of that, we have what we call skill sets, which is really defining for a specific role, what are the set of skills that are required for you to be able to be effective in that role? Mm. And then we build out a learning program underneath that, that delivers those skill sets. And so as an individual user, you can see how you're progressing to uh, achieve the skill sets needed for those roles, mm. rather than just completing courses. So it's very much orientated around those journeys. What, you know, what, what are the key roles for an organization? What are the skills that underlie it? How do you measure and how do you track it? 
And how do you deliver the best quality content in the world to ensure that you get the best possible outcomes? And it's those combinations together, I think, that actually define our value proposition. Interesting. Again, lots of learnings for me on this. This should be part of an elective <laughs> or a skill set. No, but interesting, Anthony. So, um, you know, to talk about where Coursera is, I mentioned that it's a well-known brand. Um, I was with some of our developers in Egypt recently, and one of the guys said, use Coursera as a verb in terms of something that we could do, not knowing what the course would be. Mm -hmm. So I think that's fascinating. But also listening to, to you speak there, I, I, you know, I can see that uh, Coursera has added to uh, you know, how people measure and track learning and skills that might be part of uh, proprietary sort of uh, approach and measurement uh, techniques. And that would be on top of the content. So the content that uh, your partners provide, is that bespoke? Is it, I'm sure there's different scenarios. And how, how have you approached that? I, I know it's a long-winded question, but Coursera is a listed company. It's in the ed tech category. Is it a platform in the middle where, you know, you bring uh, providers and you bring two parties together? Or are you really uh, curating and collaborating on the high quality content as well? And do you produce original content? Yes, I mean, all of the content um, that we have on our platform is, is ultimately originated by our partners. Um, so we are very much the, the platform that brings it all together, that connects that content to the various people that want to engage with it and provides all the functionality that actually helps build the user experience, that builds the way we, we build our academies and our skill sets and so on. The content itself, we have very consistent ways in which we um we create that content so it has a as a consistent look and feel but it's also designed to work for that kind of online audience so we think very, very carefully about how long should individual parts of the courses be what's the right blend of assessments to video to learning materials and so on but we're also working with partners i mean the the the, the majority of our content has come from university partners whose business, as I said, is, is to educate people. Mm. So it's designed with that kind of pedagogical approach in mind. And it's been built over years of, of expertise to look at how is the best way to engage uh, an individual in online learning. You know, do we want to make sure that individual um, pieces of content are perhaps a few minutes long, so you can just do a two or three minutes here or there, and perhaps you know a 10-minute video, and then you can stop and take a break if you wish to, or you can continue. We have lots of capabilities built in to drive engagement with people. So you can you can interact through forums. You can have um, social um, prompts and nudges and guidance. And then so we often help help encourage people to actually complete and drive through the courses on the platform. So it's very much a partnership okay. that we have between our partners and and our platform, and very much designed to deliver the best and highest possible educational experience. Okay, uh, interesting. Of the four, no problem. Of the four categories that you mentioned at the start, what's the sort of breakdown from consumers? Is, is it also in relation to the content? Are there a lot of students there, or professional people, or individual people upskilling? Are Are you able to reveal the a split uh, of who your customers are? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's I mean, there's a, a huge range uh, of organizations that we have. As you said, we have 18 million plus consumers and they really do go across all of our age ranges. 
Um, it's, it's, the content is really designed for adult education. Um, we, we call, you know, and, and it's really so it's sort of 18 plus all the way through to the end of your, um, your kind of really working career. Um, we have obviously people come on the platform who are younger than that, who have an interest in developing skill sets as they're moving through their, their, their youth. Um, the average age tends to be in the 30s for a Coursera user. And I think what that also showcases is that, you know, learning isn't something you just do at school or at university. You know, learning is a lifelong pursuit. And we are so, so far beyond the days of people having a single job that they do until retirement. You know, most people, especially in today's world, uh, coming into the working life will end up having to reinvent their career multiple times over. And what, what we find is that people come to Coursera um, both to improve their skill sets and the roles that they're doing, but also for career transitions. And that's why you see all these different ages coming in at different points in time. We also have seen, of course, particularly in areas like technology skills, that the, the, the level of speed in which those skills are changing requires people to constantly reinvest in learning new technology, new platforms, and so on. You know, a tech, a tech skill generally will last you a few years, two to four years is kind of your range before that skill is effectively almost redundant and you're now having to reinvent itself. And this is true even of business skills and leadership skills. I mean, those skill sets evolve dramatically. And so we have the whole range of individuals, kind of age groups are working on that platform. If you look at gender, it's very balanced um, in terms of the male and female utilization um, from a global perspective. It obviously does vary a little bit by country. And if you look at then our other groups of stakeholders, we work with uh, more than 3,000 universities globally um, and millions of students. Uh, we work with 200 plus government organizations around the world. And we have about 2,700 businesses who have directly engaged with Coursera to build kind of enterprise level learning programs with us, which includes about 25% of the Fortune 500. So it's a very broad mix and a very wide range of um, uh, stakeholders that we engage with. Fascinating. And recently, Coursera produced a global skills report. Uh, can you talk a little bit through the findings of that and if it was related to the pandemic or if there's some digital transformation trends that you observed? Yeah, the global skills report is really uh, taking that huge data set that we have and looking uh, across the world about how different countries are performing. And so we, we look at more than 100 different countries and we, we rank them in, their, in, their, in a whole range of different types of skills. And, and they broadly fall into three core categories. We have what we call business or business and leadership skills, we have technology skills, and we have data science skills. And those are the three major domains that we find most organizations are operating in. Most, most of our um, projects and engagements will cross all three of those broad domains, but we'll measure very specifically country-level performance across those. And then within each of those major domains, of course, there are lots and lots of individual skills, whether it's communication or entrepreneurship or strategy or operations, et cetera. And we, we look at how different countries are ranked, but also how they've been trending. So we, re, we produce this report on an annual basis, and, and we can look at how uh, organizations have performed or countries have performed um, over the years. It's a complement to our industry skills report, um, which will then look at the world through an industry lens. This is much more 
or looking at it through a country lens. Mm. And so if we look at, for example, um, the UAE, the UAE is doing extremely well on business skills. Uh, okay. In fact, it's actually number two globally wow. uh, in terms of business skills. Um, number one in MENA. Um, nice. and, and, uh, and that's also an improvement from last year where it was number five, uh, where it was fifth globally. Um, so yeah, the, the business skills have been very, very strong. In fact, it's second only to Luxembourg. Um, Amazing. Uh, in terms of business skills. Uh, where we see more opportunity for improvement tends to be around the sort of technical and digital skills. Um, now, the, the, the business skills bit is, is possibly um, uh, not a surprise in the sense of you know, the UAE has always been a very strong regional business hub. Um, and we see that Dubai is still uh, uh, one of the most favored sort of cities um, for regional headquarters, for international companies that want to have like a Middle East and Africa hub. Um, we actually have our headquarters in Abu Dhabi, but again, we're very much, you know, many, many organizations will focus their Middle East presence around the UAE. Mm. So you get a lot of international presence, a lot of um, expats coming in, as well as local expertise, and that creates a real sort of diverse culture and an opportunity for innovation, a lot of business knowledge and, and business focus coming in. So you can see see why um, there will be some real strength around those business level skills. Mm. On the technology side of things, um, the UAE um, from a global ranking is ranked number 72 uh, and number eight uh, in MENA. Now that's come down a little bit from, from last year. And sometimes that's just about where, or where we see focus. Sometimes it's about because other organizations have put themselves a lot more focused, and so perhaps they've, they've moved up the rankings. Um, and very similar for data science capabilities, where it's uh, ranking uh, number 71 globally um, and number five in MENA. Mm. So in both of these categories, it's fallen a little bit behind where it was ranked in 2020, um, but with some to, to drive uh, improvements uh, in those areas. And this is where I think we see... Um, Perhaps the the greatest opportunity for competitive differentiation and kind of economic impact um, mm. is to kind of really focus on those technical and digital skills because your business skills are already so strong mm. um, at a country level. Mm. Fascinating, um, and I really like Anthony how you positioned UAE on a global chart because I think that's how the UAE likes to kind of rank itself as well. But of course, maybe for Coursera, the region is an emerging market and you know, the education challenges in an emerging market are different than other regions per se. Um, how have you viewed that? And how have you you've seen the uptake within the UAE and beyond in this region for uh, almost behavior trends with uh, digital learning? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, actually. I mean, the UAE, and, I, and I've, I've um, you know, been uh, working with organizations in the UAE for, for the last three years within Coursera. Um, and one of the observations I'd always had when certainly working with organizations is there had always been a very strong focus on those business and leadership skills um, when we were doing learning programs, whereas in many other countries, the focus was more on sort of digital and technical skills. And I guess when we first sort of started off, my, my presumption of that was perhaps that was where they felt was the area that needed the most development expertise. But actually, you can see that because there's been so much focus there, those business and leadership skills are actually very, very strong on the global stage, um, possibly to the detriment of focusing elsewhere. 
But what we're starting to see now is that there's a bigger shift now into focusing on those digital and technical skills. And I think that's partly been driven because you know, the UAE government has really put a strong emphasis on moving away from an oil-based economy to being uh, a sort of knowledge and skills-based one. And you know, in order to be effective in that, of course, you need to have a broad range of skills capabilities. And it, it really doesn't need, need you to be able to transform both at a kind of macroeconomical level, mm. how you're performing as a business, but also as an individual organization, how do you transform the organization? How do you embrace digital technologies? How do you compete in the global stage? We also see um, that, that when we talk about things like the education sector, um, you know, there are lots of um, traditional views of where education is strong. And you know, the UK, for example, and some of the US universities have often been seen as some of the, you know, the real kind of you know, the, the, the top level educational providers out there. Um, and of course, those organizations, you know, they are fantastic at what they do. And they're, in some ways, many of them are very comfortable operating the way they are operating right now because it's been very successful. What we find in, that in, in other uh, countries and economies, which which you might you might call developing, but I think I would actually sort of call as as a, as a country, the UAE is a country that's very innovative in many of its aspects and approaches and what it's trying to do and trying to achieve. There's a more openness to doing things differently and embracing new ways of learning and, and working. And so, we're seeing some very strong engagement with our. Coursera for campus proposition in the Middle East, perhaps stronger in the Middle East in many cases than almost anywhere else in the world, because there is that willingness to be innovative. And there is a desire to showcase the UAE as a global player, as something that's leading, and really trying to, and, and actually welcoming the prestige that many of the brands that we have on our platform can bring as complementary partners to the institutions that are present in the country. So that's driving a level of engagement, which I think if organizations um, can see there is a change coming and what the future can look like and recognizing that if you look at the university landscape, you know, the move is towards more blended, more online learning opportunities. It is going to become a more global stage. We're going to have to have more flexibility in our programs because people can go especially if they're not going to be on campus, they can learn from anywhere in the world, yeah. which means anyone could work, could learn at a, at a UAE institution, but also anyone in the UAE could work at a, at a global institution. Yeah. So it's a different stage, it's a different competitive environment. It's going to require change, it's going to require evolution. And it's those that recognize and embrace it and start moving towards that vision. I think we'll start to see them perhaps overtake some of the other organizations that have historically occupied those higher spots who would be more resistant to change. So there's a really interesting opportunity, I think, over the next few years for individual organizations and countries to really change how they're perceived in the landscape by embracing change, by embracing innovation. And that's one of the things that really excites me about the UAE is that desire to be open to innovation mm. and to, to look at how things can evolve. Definitely, yeah. I think there's many examples in Dubai and the UAE, especially in education, you know, we often hear from His Highness Sheikh Mohammed uh, about different incentives to upskill people and how education is so important, but but also how he how he uses that as a benchmark for the Arab youth and and the rest of the region mm -hmm. as well. Um, and sort of rephrasing a, a question as well around: Have you seen 
uh, an uptake in users in other Arab countries that mightn't be as leading or uh, innovative in education and partnering with global institutions as the UAE has been. But um, from a, a user initiative, are people logging on from other parts of the Gulf and Levant and North Africa discovering Coursera and sort of upskilling themselves? Because, you know, as you, you're probably aware, Anthony, that jobs and unemployment is, is a challenge across the region. And uh, I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. are, are people sort of um, ambitious enough to be teaching themselves and preparing themselves for the workforce? Yeah, and, and we do see that. I mean, we, we saw... We saw a huge uplift in individuals um, engaging with learning. Um, uh, that was that was very much spiked when we saw the pandemic hit. Okay, um, and that's probably not a surprise because many people were either in some form of lockdown or perhaps um, uh, working from home and not being able to be as productive as they could, or indeed, you know, not working at all for various different reasons. And that both created some space for people to learn, but it also for many people was a recognition that what they had been doing might not be something they could come back to or that they wanted to change because of the impact the pandemic had had in their particular industry or, or area of expertise. So we saw a huge surge in the number of people engaging. And we saw that globally as well as obviously within the, the Middle East region. Um, I think, and you made the, the, you, the comment about youth, um, there, there, are, there are two major um, risks, I think, for people in the Middle East. So one is a global thing, uh, which is around lower skilled jobs um, being very strongly at the risk of automation. And if we look at um, the Middle East region, there's about 29 million jobs, uh, about 70% of all jobs in the region that are ri at risk of being displaced um, by 2030 due to automation, due to machine learning and AI and so on. So that's a, a huge, huge population of people that collectively, um, through governments, through institutions, through businesses, we need to figure out how to reskill them. Um, otherwise, that's a, that's a big cost from an economic perspective, and it's a very major human cost um, from a personal impact basis. The second thing is just looking at um, youth unemployment. Um, and over the next couple of decades, we're, we, we expect that there's going to be about 127 million young people are going to be entering the, the workforce. Okay. And, and connected with that, we see within the MENA region that MENA has the highest rate of youth unemployment in the world. It's about, it exceeds about 27% on average. Obviously, it varies in different countries across MENA. Um, but, but the youth of today are five times more likely to be unemployed than their adult counterparts, which is why I think, you know, having this focus on the youth is, is such a critical thing because it's the lifeblood of the economy. And it, and it really, it, once, you know, if, if youth doesn't get into work early, you risk it becomes, you know, a pattern for life that after years of struggling, that that becomes the life story. And that's what, of course, what we want to avoid. Mm. Um, so, We've seen a lot of individuals um, uh, embrace Coursera on their own capacity. We've also seen uh, a lot more focus, I think, from educational institutions on employability outcomes for their students um, and uh, really trying to ensure that students are coming up with job-ready skills, not just an academic quality in their area of study, but coming out with the skill sets that we know businesses are looking for and a need for those individuals to be effective in the world of work. 
So that's kind of changing the way educational programs are delivered. And we've seen some really strong engagement um, uh, in the MENA region from universities to that regard. And it's not just about getting people into a job, it's also getting people into a career of choice, something that people actually want to do, mm. um, especially they're investing three or four years of their life in the education program. Um, and then there's been a lot of focus from governments um, across the MENA region. We've had some fantastic um, government uh, engagements um, that we've seen really trying to um, address um, education and skills development. We do a lot of work with the Abu Dhabi School of Government, um, for example, in the UAE, um, where it's very much focused on trying to drive citizen and government level um, reskilling and upskilling, and also really thinking about, again, macroeconomical societal change. Mm. Um, and, and of course, businesses themselves are also looking to invest in these skill sets. So I, I think we've seen some incredible positive engagements across the majority of, of countries um, in the MENA region. I would say that you know we, we see you know the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the UAE as being the, like the major areas of focus for us, if nothing else, because of the size, because of the economy, because of um, uh, the number of people that are engaging. But it is something that's replicated across the entire region. Fascinating. Um, kind of putting two things together that you mentioned. So the you identified that the UAE in particular ranked rather lower than it does on business skills and technology. And then also, as we were just discussing about the youth trend, uh, the youth uh, opportunity for, for the, uh, for learning as well on digital platforms. But what are the trends you're seeing on the type of courses, um, both sort of anecdotally and through data? What should, what could people be learning? Is it, is it Anthony very sort of future stuff like AI, machine learning, or are there basic digital skills? Um, and yeah, what are the type of courses and the technology space that, that people can avail of on Coursera? Yeah, and, and, and I guess there's a mixture of both. So, uh, if we look at like the UAE, um, specifically, um, there, the kind of areas that people focus on learning are generally very similar to what we see on the global stage. There are a few specific things. So we have in the UAE, there's a, there's more focus in the UAE compared to what we see globally on some things such as human resources and business skills on tech skills. We see a strong focus in graphic design and using Adobe Photoshop on data science. We see a strong focus on statistical visualizations. Ah. Um, that's, that's in the UAE that where there's more focus there than we see globally, but the kind of skills that, are, that the, that people in the UAE are focused on that is kind of representative of what we're seeing in the global stage is kind of what you discuss. So we do see things around, Machine learning and um, Python programming is, is always a big one. Um, uh, lots of stuff around machine learning, machine and applied learning, um, data management, probability statistics, et cetera, in the, in the data science space. On technology, um, yep, we see computer science, we see C programming, we see maths, computational thinking, web development skills. Um, again, fairly kind of common set of, of skill sets. And in business, it's around stretching operations, it's digital marketing, it's it's finance, it's leadership, um, it's accounting skills. So, and, and it's kind of representative of the major functions of business um, in, from, a, from a functional level and also the underlying tech and data science um, with a, uh, a level of focus on the emerging tech skills being a sort of common theme throughout that mm. we see. Interesting. And kind of shifting focus a little bit, um, 
you, you know, and I visited your website and I see the global uh, recognizable brand names, some of those uh, partners that you would have partnered with and that fascinated to know how they kind of uh, come up with the bespoke courses. But uh, I'm also interested to know what's your engagement with SMEs. Uh, for example, we're a modern media company in the Middle East and we'd always like to provide the right training for our employees uh, but mm-hmm. maybe we don't feel like we're a Google. We don't know if we want to custom make an academy. Like how, how can an SME engage with Coursera for, you know, uh, their employees? Oh, there's lots of different ways that that can be done. Um, and, you know, as you, as you said, you know, there's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do yourself. Right? Yeah. And most, most companies, most organizations, most SMEs, they're not in the business of teaching people learning skills and, and, and building content. That's not their core business. They'll be in almost anything else but that, unless it happens to be an educational um, uh, technology provider. Um, so it's not normally their area of expertise. What I would say is that when we look at most companies, there is some content that makes sense to build yourself. And that's going to be stuff that's very, very specific to you and your organization. You know, In your environment, it might be about how you actually talk about your particular unique advantages and your skill sets and how you position that in the marketplace. You're not going to be able to get that as content on the open market because it's completely specific to you. But when you're talking about things like cloud and tech skills and AI and machine learning and data science, these aren't specific skills for an SME. These are skill sets that are based on global platforms and technologies built outside the company and there's no need to reinvent the wheel and try and build that capability. And even if you did, you'd never be able to do it at the level of quality that an organization that lives and breathes that capability set, that has all of the experts in those areas can do, and that can build it for you, and you can then deploy it to your individuals. And the other thing, of course, is this stuff changes so fast, is how do you keep it up to date? How do you keep it current? Mm-hmm. By the time you've written and developed a high quality piece of content, it's gonna be out of date often nine months or a year later. So when we work with our partners, of course, we are working with subject matter experts who are really leading professionals in their field and those domain expertise, and they obviously build that content to a very high standard. But we have a very symbiotic relationship. So we take feedback from all of our SMEs who are using that content. Individuals can rate those courses. They can rank those courses. They can provide us with feedback. They can engage directly with our own teams to say, you know, we've been doing this course, we've been it's getting a bit out of date now, or this is an exceptional course. And all that information flows back to our partners. We make sure that our courses remain highly ranked and high quality. If it starts dropping for any reason, we'll either provide that feedback to the partners so they can update it, or ultimately it will comes off the platform because it's no longer as relevant. Mm. And so that is a very strong feedback loop that we have. As an SME, there are lots and lots of ways that you can engage with Coursera or another organization. Um, you can, of course, just direct employees at a website and they can go to our consumer platform and learn. And that, that gets you the ability to, for, to actually to see the content. But really where the value comes in is actually having a platform uh, and a platform that gives you insight into what your employees are learning, gives you the ability to define learning programs that align to your business goals allow you to build your own academies or skill sets to actually map to the roles that you have and actually build learning programs that delivers on the business outcomes that you're trying to achieve. Mm. And, they, and they kind of really go across three areas, right? One is around retention of staff, um, which I would say almost 
all learning solutions offer some capability around because the reason most people leave businesses is because they have a lack of development opportunity or a lack of career progression, both of which can be solved for through learning. The second piece is around talent acquisition. There are lots of skills that are very hard to acquire in the open market. Everyone wants to get them. Not enough people have them. It becomes very expensive to hire those people and very hard to retain them. It can be more effective to simply reskill people in the existing organization. They are already great people and have cultural fit, especially if they're doing jobs that might not be required in a few more years' time. Mm. And the third, of course, is driving better business outcomes. And then whether that's you know, market share, supply chain optimization, sales expertise, net promoter scores, customer service, innovation, productivity, um, product um, output, whatever it might be that drives your business, you know, it's all about skills and technology that leads to those business outcomes. Mm. And again, we, we work with them. So when we engage with an SME, we will sit down with them, understand what they're trying to achieve, what are the business goals, why are they wanting to invest in learning or skills transfer platform in the first place. We will actually help them curate the relevant content. We'll make recommendations to them based on those business goals. We'll help them build those learning paths. We'll configure the platform for them. We'll help them brand it. We'll help them launch it and enroll it. And they'll be supported for the lifetime of their engagement with us in terms of how best to utilize it, best practices, how to access reporting information, how to get visibility into what your uh, employees are doing on the program. And it's all orientated around helping companies effectively perform better in their specific area of mm. competition. Fascinating. Enough homework for me anyway with, the, with that information. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, everyone will know that we last year, practically a lot of learning uh, institutional and, uh, you know, uh, from businesses and a lot of communication switched to the cloud and switched to, as we're doing now, communication mm -hmm. on Zoom. Um, I'm fascinated to know of some insights and some best class examples that you've seen of that sort of return, return to a physical world in, in a hybrid way. Uh, how are, how are people embracing technology almost beyond the Coursera platform? Are they, uh, are they changing timetables? Are they allotting digital learning times? Are they providing different technologies in boardrooms, in, in campuses? Uh, what are the sort of, what are the sort of things to facilitate a more hybrid word that, that you've seen as, as good examples? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting area. And of course, and we see across different organizations, industries and countries, different speeds of change about how much people are wanting to go back to an office environment, how much they wanted to go back to what they did before, and how much is actually going to be a change setup from where it was. Now, in most cases, there's going to be some level of change. Uh, we see some organizations saying, you know, we used to be five days a week, now we'll be four or three, and then you can work at home for the rest of the time. Others are going much more into a kind of remote or blended world where perhaps it's a more remote first context and Offices are perhaps not so much offices where you go to sit at a desk and work every day, but are perhaps an innovation or a collaboration hub or a place you facilitate team meetings to come together. Um, so we do see shifts, very strong shifts in working patterns and much more sort of hybrid or blended ways of working. And I think that's going to become the norm. It's also going to become an expectation for many employees. And I think if companies don't offer more flexibility in that world, they're going to struggle to retain talent if they see many, many other organizations are choosing to go down that path. So it is an evolution in the way that we have to operate. 
Some of that is course technology. Some of it is around collaboration platforms and Zoom and video conferencing and being able to work digitally and working with shared documentation and all of these different elements to it. Um, some of it's about infrastructure and like how much office space do we need? Where do we need it? What kind of setup do we have? Do we completely change the layout? Perhaps it's more kind of open space or meeting orientated rather than desk space, for example. Mm. Um, but, the, but perhaps the biggest layer of change over that is the skills that you need from a business and leadership capability to operate effectively in that domain. It's one of the reasons why we launched the Leadership Academy um, that we have uh, recently just brought to marketplace because we are seeing so much change in the way that you have to manage, lead, run, and work um, in the new world that we're coming into. Um, now, part of that, of course, has been driven by things we've already talked about. It's been driven by automation. It's by, been driven by teams making much more use of AI and machine learning and technology in, in their day-to-day -day work. It's also shifts we see in, in organizations becoming more internationalized, uh, more cross-functional in the way they have to operate, and working with um, very diverse um, teams um, across different time zones. All of those are more challenging factors. And so we, 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 the, the Leadership Academy that we've launched is focused on how as an individual do you lead? So helping employees develop those leadership behaviors by really understanding at the foundational level, what's management about? What's, how, do you, how do you manage change? And this is a huge change for so many organizations. What are the core human skills you need to work in perhaps a more blended hybrid learning environment? How do you actually lead teams? How do you actually drive change, recognize people, do people development? How do you drive collaboration across multiple teams, particularly when you're not all in the same building anymore? How do you lead an how do you lead organizations overall at, at, at the top of the level of organization? What are the what are the new organizational leadership capabilities that really empower leaders to grow people and to improve business outcomes? And how do you lead transformation um, as we actually transform our organizations, both from a digital perspective, but also changing our workforce capabilities mm. that allow us to compete in this very different world stage that we now find ourselves in. So. It's going to be really interesting in the next few years to see how all this evolves. Yeah. But the one thing you cannot, I don't, you can deny is that change is here, it's happening, it's going at different paces, but we have to accept it's here and we all have to evolve and adapt to make that effective for ourselves. Definitely. One of the ways of embracing a, a changing world around us is to change how we learn <laughs> as well um, indeed, and the indeed. pace and everything. Um, so thank you so much for sharing uh, all this. It's been fascinating. Uh, I wanted to uh, finish on uh, how, you know, you, Coursera views uh, the Middle East as an emerging market. And is it a market that will emerge? And if so, sort of what's your commitment to the region? You mentioned Abu Dhabi and what, what are the future plans uh, for, for the business in this region? So from, from, from my perspective um, uh, and, and from Coursera's perspective, you know, we, are, we are hugely excited by the Middle East as a region. It's a big area of focus for us. Um, you know, we, you know, if we look across the, you know, the whole of Europe, Middle East and Africa, and there's about 120 countries that are represented um, in my, my territory that I'm accountable for. Um, you know, we have an office in the UK, we have an office in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I think that alone should sort of give some signal of, of how much um, value we place in the Middle East. It's also, of course, a culture that 
is very face-to-face um, driven. It, it's a very personal culture. And I think it's really important that you have people on the ground, you have investments in people. And our team has grown very significantly in the Middle East over the last couple of years as our business and our relationships there have grown. And I think that will continue to happen. Um, we, we've got lots of strong relationships with um, businesses and government departments in the Middle East. We're seeing some incredible traction with educational institutions. And I really think that's that's where we're going to see some very pioneering and innovative behavior coming out, which is really exciting to see. Um, and what's also, I think, fascinating about the Middle East is that there's such a high level of like vision about how the countries themselves are going to change their economies, you know, to moving into skills-based and services-based economies, changing dependence. I mean, the, the level of transformation, the level of shift and vision that's taking place in the region, kind of unprecedented, I think, compared to anywhere else in the world. And when you have that level of change, of course, it creates great opportunity. It creates great excitement. It creates um, potential for innovation. And it, it, it creates um, opportunities for people to do new things and exciting things. And that's part of what really excites me. And we're seeing, um, if I look at the UA specifically, we're seeing huge strides in, in STEM skills, in, in women's education, in, in gender balance, in, in transforming the economy and shifting the way the educational system is working, the way businesses are embracing, and of course, being that central global business hub. That's a really exciting place to be operating in. So I, I expect we will continue to invest in the Middle East. We'll continue to uh, grow our relationships and drive our partnerships. We've brought on new partnerships, new content partners from the Middle East um, very recently with some leading prestigious universities. We've brought on new organizations, new customers. And of course, we see on the consumer platform, more and more individuals have become more aware of what Coursera can bring and offer during the platform to drive their own education as well. So. Yeah, hugely exciting space for us. It's a very positive note. Thank you for sharing. It's good to see it from afar as well with a kind of a, a macro view of the region. So thank you for sharing. Um, well, thank you for your time this morning. I think it's given people a real insight into if we do have a touch point with Coursera that there's a lot more to it as well and maybe um, to dig deeper into the platform and looking forward to seeing some of those exciting projects launch in the region as well. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, really appreciate being here. Thank appreciate you very your much. time. Thank you, Anthony. So that was a great conversation. I definitely at Augustus Media will be trying to do a bit of an academy uh, through Coursera. I'm going to check it out to see how we can teach young media people uh, in the region and uh, upskill our current team as well. Because I think it's it's something that's kind of really needed, especially in our industry. And I hope that uh, a lot of you uh, listening will seeing the need for that either individually or within your companies as well uh, we're back same time next week it's 11 o'clock every thursday uh, we'll be speaking to alec construction and their involvement in expo 2020 so again looking at that uh, that's around the corner now from a different angle if you'd like the, the if you like uh, to watch the podcast you can watch it on our youtube channel you can also watch it on smashy uh, tv streaming uh, and while uh, you're at it be sure to follow our social media pages a lot of this content goes on the smashy business instagram account uh, but there's a lot more of the smashy crypto smashy green smashy gaming uh, and to listen to our previous episodes of the podcast download the app or on the website uh, i'd like to thank uh, alibaba who's the technician and the producer on this show and also uh, shahir al-kindi who produced uh, dubai works this week